0: Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor. And would love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless.
1: I love how loud it gets in here. It just amplifies everyone talking, everyone chatting, everyone getting to know each other. We love that here at Renew. And so to answer the question, what are all the different hats that you wear? Now, most of you know me, right, as my primary church hat. I am Pastor Irwin, right? And Pastor Irwin, I'm oh, sorry, this is like an exclusive Renew staff hat. You, you got to be on staff to get this hat. Right. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. But Pastor Irwin loves the Lord. Right. And he loves the church. And you'll see on Sundays, Pastor Irwin is going back and forth. He's helping with A.V., going to the youth, prepping all my slides, everything for the youth. And then even when I'm at youth, I'm just thinking in the back of my head. All right. If anything happens to A.V., will I drop my entire sermon for youth and just go help out A.V.? No, okay, good answer, right? But that's kind of what's expected out of Pastor Irwin, right? That if there's help needed, he's going to help. If there's kids who need to hear the gospel, kids are going to hear the gospel. If there's a kid that just needs a little bit of TLC, okay, hopefully I can be the one to help give a little tender love and just listen to them. But there's also hats that you don't get to see. Fiance Irwin. Now, uh, my fiancee, Michelle, she's currently at her own church's ch- church retreat, but I brought this hat because we have matching hats. I know, I know, I know. Right? And these are also the shoes that we have matching shoes. Right? I hate matching. <laughs> I think it's like PDA. Right? It's like awkward PDA to me, and, but she loves it. Right, and that's what Pastor—not Pastor Irwin—that's what Fiance Irwin's supposed to do. Right, he makes it clear to his fiance that he loves her, and even though he's uncomfortable, he's awkward. He will do whatever it takes to make sure she knows I love her. She is seen. She is affirmed in all the things she loves. I will do it for her sake. Right, that's what's expected out of Fiance Irwin. But the hat that most of you have probably never seen—oh, except Jaden. <laughs> <laughs> yes, except Jaden and all the guys I coach tennis in, right, is Coach Irwin. This is my uh, school colors. This is a hat I literally wear every time I go coach the team. And Coach Irwin is a different story. He's a general. <laughs> I know you're, you're already scared. But my job is to lead and mentor kids, right? My job is to make sure they are disciplined physically, but they must be disciplined mentally, Tennis is 80% mental, right? So if they can't be physical and mental, they can't hang. And so whether you're a guy or a girl, because I coach both teams, they know that they're expected to be locked in. They're expected to be focused. They're expected to give their all in every single match, and I make sure I set that precedent. I'm a general. But that's what you expect out of a coach, right? Coaches are going to go in and make sure this team becomes a great team. But one thing that I never knew that, as a coach, I would have to take on is that I would become a father. I would become Father Irwin. I know. And you can, hear, you can see the next slide, but I'm not, um, I'm, me and Michelle are not pregnant. Right? She's not pregnant, just to ease some worries and concerns. <laughs> but just the other day, like a week ago, one of my boys, he comes up to me really just suddenly. And he's like, Erwin, and we're on first name basis. He's like, Erwin, you're like a father to me. And I got super thrown off. Like a part of me is like, I'm so honored you would think that highly of me. right? That you would look up to me as that kind of father role model for you. But another part of me is extremely overwhelmed. I don't know what being a dad looks like. I can barely be a good son, let alone be someone that this boy is going to look forward to as a model. Someone to model how to live life, ethics, morals, uh, what it means to be good to people. I don't know what it means to do this as a dad. And I I don't know how to do that in the midst of all these different hats. You know, if you think of like all these hats, it's normal to wear one at a time, right? But what happens when you wear all of them at once? It looks ridiculous. It does. But most of us are typically wearing our hats like that, right? That we don't get to put on a hat, take it off. We don't get to put down a roll and then move to the next one. Actually, we just wear them all at once. And a lot of times we find ourselves really just stumbling. It all falls off. I'm being stretched and pulled. Here, there's Pastor Irwin, and they need this out of me. Here, there's uh, fiance Irwin. Michelle needs this out of me. Here, there's uh, Coach Irwin and apparently Dad Irwin, and these kids need me, and they're looking for a father figure. Like, how do you meet all these expectations for people? And I think for us, that's pretty relatable. Like, have you ever felt that way? where you just feel the tug and the pull of all these expectations and all the roles in your life. And in no shape, matter, or form, you're just like, what do I do with all of this? Recently, I, I admittedly, the same time the boy told me, that, like, you're my father figure, That whole day I had a headache. And I came to Michelle, talking to her, we're video chatting, And I was just like, babe, I have like the worst headache of my life, and it, it was bad. Like it's like to the point I'm laying on the bed, I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous. I really just genuinely felt like I was going to puke. And I was just like, I need to go to sleep really soon. And Michelle is gentle. Like she's she's a funny one. She's super extroverted, but she's also really gentle. And she says, hey, babe, like it's okay. I know you're busy. And you know like sometimes people say a few words and it just like hits you as a dagger because you know and the reality of what they say just becomes that much more true. I know I'm busy. I know I'm overwhelmed. And all these things that everyone's asking of me, it's pulling me apart. What am I supposed to do about this? What do we do about it when we're in that place where it's just too much? Well, hopefully it doesn't manifest in the ways that it did for me to you, right? Hopefully it doesn't get the bad headaches, migraines. Um, But I know that a lot of times we feel stressed about it. We're anxious. It's on our mind. And the the scary thing is that a lot of these feelings of anxiety and stress, they have a tendency to build up, right? And they don't just stay internal, they become external. And so eventually your stress becomes actually just like trying to fake it till you make it mentality. But mentality also becomes action. And as we're doing all these hats and the roles and we're trying to juggle everything, we just kind of go through the phases of forgetting. We forget why we're doing it. We forget what we're there for in the first place. And we just kind of live life in this like confused, like it's all a blur. And so today, what I want us to think about, and it's scary to be in that place, I know we've all been there before, is to maybe take a step back and ask, what do I do when this happens? And when we look at Jesus, right? Jesus is always the perfect example for us of what to do. We see that Jesus actually had a whole bunch of hats too. He wore so many hats and held the expectations with each hat. If you can turn to the next slide. In Luke 4 alone, right, we've been in Luke 4, we see that Jesus had all these different hats. He's a rabbi and a teacher. Oh, no, you can go back. Yeah, he's a rabbi and a teacher, right? And people love his word. He goes to the synagogues, and they're like, who teaches with such wisdom? But quickly, right, once he's in Nazareth, and they realize, oh, wait, this is just hometown Jesus. We've already known him. We've known him forever since he was a little boy. He's just Joseph's son. And they actually become angry. Why is Joseph's son telling me that Gentiles are going to be saved? And they get angry. And they're going to be saved before all the Israelites, before Nazarenes. And they kick him out. Actually, they try to kill him, and he runs away. And then we see Jesus as Messiah, and we know that. But for them, they didn't know that at that time. They just saw this guy who had cast demons out. And even the demons mentioned, right, in verse 40, they're like, you are the Messiah. And Jesus, over, with authority and power, just says, you don't say anything. Demons, you do not get to say who I am to anyone. And then probably my, fra- my favorite of the bunch, but, you know, subjective, Jesus is a healer. And he heals in amazing ways when we look at verse 38 to 41. He heals intimately. Uh, Simon, his mother-in-law, Jesus goes to her directly, heals her. He also does it publicly. One by one, the crowds come to him, and one by one, he heals them each. And he doesn't just heal of the physical ailments. He, feel, he heals the physical. He heals the spiritual. He heals them to the point, just like Simon's mother-in-law, to the point that she can serve other people. It's a huge way in which Jesus heals people. He doesn't just take them from like negative to zero he takes some negative to 100, and it's crazy, and people love Jesus at this point. Look what he's able to do, and they all come to him expecting Jesus can heal us, no one else can, and these are correct expectations of Jesus, but when we look at how Jesus handles these expectations, I think we're surprised. Now, if you have your Bibles, or you can look at the, uh, at the screen, We see here, verse 42, chapter 4, verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, Jesus in the midst of all these expectations, the crowd wants him. The crowd is saying, stay here. Only you can heal us. Jesus knows exactly who he is, right? If you go to the next slide, it uh, just helps make it a little bit clearer, right? He says, I, I must proclaim. He knows who he is. He, knows pr- he has personal ownership here. But what is he supposed to do? He knows, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, Jesus knows who he is, but he also knows his purpose, what he's meant to do in life. And you know what? The best part, I think, verse 44, he says, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He did it, right? He accomplished everything he set out to do, everything he was meant to do, his purpose in life. Jesus fulfills everything. And I think when we look at our own lives, sometimes when we wear too many hats, it becomes a little foggy. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And am I doing it in the ways of Jesus? And I think our challenge today isn't to simply to take on the ministry of Jesus, but to ask the question of where does Jesus do his ministry out of? From what place does Jesus do his ministry live his life. And I think the challenge for us is to mirror that. And if we go back, we'll see that Jesus does this out of the solitary place. Verse 42. Jesus does this out of silence and solitude. And for some of us, we're like, what does that look like? Silence and solitude. I'm, you know, I'm a talker, right? I don't know silence. And so the challenge is, how do we find silence and solitude to come to the same place as Jesus, who knows who he is, who knows his purpose, and does it out of this place. And so I want to shift gears, okay? We're going to Romans 8, 26 to 27, and really talking today about what does silence and solitude look like in our life, so that we could near Jesus and be like him. So let's read the passage, Romans 8:26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, when we look at Romans 8, 26 to 27, I think it sets a clear precedent for us on what silence and solitude and the gifts of that it's supposed to really offer to us when we are willing to do silence and solitude like Jesus. I think number one, uh, you can go to the next slide, number one, that when we sit in silence and solitude, the spirit is actually helping us in our weakness. Now, next slide as well. Now, when we think of weakness, it's very common for us to think a moment of weakness. Right, Uh, a lot of, And I hate to say, a lot of pastors, and I've heard this in the news, I've heard this through friends, right, when something happens and there has to be church discipline for this pastor, it usually comes out in the term of, there was a moment of weakness. But when Paul talks about a moment, or talks about our weakness, he's not talking about a single moment. He's actually talking about our constant state of weakness. Right, that I'm not just all of a sudden weak, but actually, I've always been weak. You know, uh, for my tennis coach, right, uh, my tennis hat, when I'm coach. This past week, immensely stressful. We have two games, and the games kind of decide everything. So, first game, league champions. Are we going to be league champions or not? If we lose, we are not league champions. Second match, if we lose this one, we're not going to the playoffs. And it feels like, at least for me, everything is on the line. And so I remember before our first match, just on Tuesday, the boys are huddling around me and I'm like literally shaking, like trembling. And, you know, typically you're kind of like, okay, if you're trembling and shaking and you're stuttering, it means you're nervous, you're scared of something. And I can look at that moment and I can just be like, You know, this is just a moment of me being scared, just a single moment of me being nervous, of me being a little weak in the knees. But actually, it's a representation of how I've probably always been this entire season. Whether it be the, right now we're in boy season, but also in the girl season. That it's not just about me being nervous in that single moment, but actually my weakness is, I hate losing. Like, I'm being honest, like I hate losing. I hate the idea of thinking we worked all so hard, all of us, all of them, and I hate the idea of thinking that if we lose these, it means nothing. And for me, like right, I'm a very success-oriented person. I'm a three on the Enneagram. Right? I know. So some people get it, right? Yeah. Right. Dude, that's like the worst possible thing is to lose. That means you are not successful. You have failed at what you're supposed to do. And it becomes so clear to me that in that moment of nervousness, that it's been there this entire time. And I think for a lot of us, we want to see a single moment, but a lot of times we'll kind of just be like, oh, it's just one time, right? I only felt like this this one time. But I think if we think that way, we actually limit the work God wants us to do in us in silence and solitude. And I think that brings us to our second point, actually. That when we sit in silence and solitude, the Spirit is searching our hearts. Now, it says this, right? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts Knows the mind of the Spirit. And who is he who searches our hearts? It's God, right? It's the Heavenly Father. He knows everything that is on our minds, on our hearts, on our thoughts. And when I think about, you know, kind of just what I told you, right? Where I'm nervous, I hate losing, I'm Enneagram 3, there's no way we can lose this. Otherwise, I'm a failure. I failed at what I'm supposed to do well. But I think there's more to it, right? There's always more to the story. Why do I feel like this? What got me this way? Why do I feel so anxious and feel like this matches everything to me? Like, it's like my life on the line. Well, it brings me back to kind of painful memories. I think of when I was a kid, I was fourth grade, and this is actually really vivid. I'm fourth grade, I come out of a basketball game. Best game of my life. Like legit, so okay, for you sports people, okay. Five out of seven from the field, 10 points, right? 10 rebounds. Oh no, it was 11 rebounds, right? Even better. Double double, first double double as a fourth grader. I'm like dominating kids from the board, right? <laughs> Had two clutch free throws, made them both, and like everyone is ecstatic. Look at this basketball stud. Right? Back then, I was like, still the same height. I haven't really grown that much, right? <laughs> so I was huge compared to a lot of kids a um, long time ago. And everyone's like, dude, this kid is amazing. Five of seven, shoot, that's a high percentage. And then I go to my parents and I'm ecstatic. We won the game, I'm doing my best. And the first thing they tell me is, you missed two shots. Dude, that sucks, <laughs> right? Like as a kid, that, like, already you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for Erwin. But I think of that memory when I think of I don't want to fail. I don't want to look like I'm going to lose. I don't want to look bad. But that memory comes up. And I hate to say it, but that memory informs kind of how I go about sports the rest of my life, right? Even when I quit basketball, uh, everyone started getting taller than me. So, you know, at that point, you're just like, okay, I'm done. But I decided to start tennis, and I got really good at tennis, right? Enough to really compete at a high level. And then one day, my parents were like, oh, we're going to come watch you because you have a big tournament coming up. We're going to watch. And I just straight up told them, don't you ever dare come to my matches. And I know for parents, you're probably like, that's like the worst thing you could say to your parents. And I meant it. I, I, I'm, I'm better about it now, but I meant it in the moment. Because I was scared, right? I didn't want them to see me lose. I, didn't, I knew the competition that I was up against. We're talking about guys who are nationally ranked, top 50 in the nation, top 100 in California. They're high up there. And I knew at some point I'm going to lose, and the last people I want to see me lose is my parents. And so for them, they see it as denial. For me, I see it as, like, I just don't want you to see this part of me. Right? I don't want you to think your son is a loser, that he's not capable, that he's a failure. And these are painful memories when I look back. Right? I might be 20 years older, or no, at this point, 14 years older, but they're still immensely painful to look back at But that's what the spirit does when we sit in silence and solitude. It brings up uncomfortable memories, it brings up uncomfortable pains, and it brings it to fruition not because it feels great, but because it does something greater for us. That when we actually let the spirit search us, when we decide to sit in silence and solitude that the greatest thing God can do for us is align us with himself. And having these painful memories does exactly that. It reminds me that my weakness is beyond just the moment, that it's something ongoing, and it's come from a really long place of trauma and hurt and pain. And here I am before the Lord. There's no escaping when you're in silence and solitude. I have to sit in it and ask, what do you want of What's the purpose in all of this? Why did this all have to happen this way? But it's exactly in that place that we find that we align with God. And so our third point, that in silence and solitude, when we make the choice to sit in silence and solitude, the Spirit is aligning us to God's will. And I know a lot of us, when we think of God's will, it's something huge. It is beyond us, and it is. It truly is. But I think on a daily basis, God's will isn't that far-fetched. Actually, I would argue that it's right next to us. That it's simply being in step with God's spirit. And silence and solitude allows us this space and time to be in step with God's spirit. You know, uh, talking a lot about tennis, I'm going to continue talking about tennis now, boys have their championship match. We lose the match. It sucked, right? The boys are like borderline crying. Like, you know, they don't want to show it to each other because they're, they're like, oh, I can't show that I'm sad. But I am too. Like, I'm like legit borderline like, you guys worked so hard. Like, ugh. But because of my time in silence and solitude, I didn't approach the boys with, Come on, guys, I can't believe you didn't win. We didn't try hard enough. No, my perspective was completely different. I saw the deepest parts of my own heart, the deepest weaknesses, my own hurts and traumas. I didn't want that for them. And I remember as we're ending the match, they're all coming together, they're all sad, like, you know, the face, heads are down. I got super emotional, and I'm trying not to get too emotional right now, but I just was like, I am so proud of you guys. You have done an immense job. We were last in league last year, and now we're second. Why? Because you worked hard, because you challenged yourself, because you did everything that you could, and you laid it all out there. And look, here you are, how far you've gone. Amazing. The next two days we had our our playoff match. If we lose this, we're out. And it's close one. Like we're up nine-eight. Not a lot of you guys play tennis, but I'll try my best. So nine sets to eight sets. Right? And that means we have one more doubles match left. And if the other team wins it, we're tied nine all. So we have to go to game count. Now, as a good coach, because I'm top of my stuff, right, I'm counting the games and I realize we're going to win by 10, we're up by 10 games. And even if the other team wins, we're still up by four games. We've won. We've solidified our place in the playoffs. And for a coach, right, this is success. This is exactly what I was supposed to do. Get our team into the playoffs, make us a good team. But in that moment, right, I know the results. I'm like, yes, we won. But the kids don't. And they're worried. They're asking me, coach, 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 what's the score? What's the game count? I know the set score's nine, eight. Coach, 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 what's the game count? We need to know, like, and they want this assurance in the moment that we're gonna win. But I asked my question when, or I asked myself and I saw that, right, this desire to win. Like, it, it's like winning makes all the difference, if I don't win, we're gonna be so broken. And I realized, I don't want that for these kids as well. I don't want their entire identity and experience to, to go about how they do and their performance. Actually, I want it to be something completely different. And I remember just telling all the boys, I was like, hey, you got two team members, a double team right there, playing like this means everything you should cheer on for them like it means everything. And that's exactly what they did. It was a beautiful image, I think, of heaven. Right, you have these guys that are competing and they're doing their best, and both teams are, it's, it's close. And they're going to tiebreaker. That means this is like do or, do or die. And every point, both teams, right, my team is like, so I have a whole bunch of Korean and Chinese guys on my team. And so it's like this like mix of like, which is like, let's go in Korean. Or like, in Chinese, which is like, keep fighting, add oil, right? Keep going, let's go, right? And over here, I'm like, oh my gosh, they are pumped up, right? And it's both teams. It's not just my team, but it's both teams supporting their members, being like this like wall of like encouragement. You got this, let's go. And I just imagine for a kid, Right? What a core memory that is. Imagine that you're the last match. Everyone's watching you. And there's no booze, there's you suck. Right? That's what we imagine with like a lot of sports games. (laughs) But it's you're doing great. Let's go. Keep fighting. And the words of life just like pour out into these kids on the court. And it all came from really simple means, right? I acknowledged my weakness. I understood that God needed to search me, and he did it. Beyond what I could see, he searched me. And in this moment of the boys have like, in this moment, you get to see a little bit of God's purpose. A little bit of what God intends for life, not just for myself, but for these boys. And in that moment, like you're just like, this is God's will. This is what it looks like to be aligned in God's will. And all it took was a little bit of silence and solitude to change the way I treat these people, to treat these boys Today, church, uh, I think there's a challenge in silence and solitude for us all. Silence and solitude is awkward. It's silent. And we're so used to hearing a whole bunch of noise in our lives. But I think today, I just want to invite us to a space. Three minutes of silence and solitude with the Lord. Three minutes to ask him really and invite three words Weakness, searching, and God's will. Today, as we just kind of jump into, and I know it's, it feels like a big jump, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm already not looking forward to this. But you're already wearing so many hats. So before you put on your hats of parent, before you put on your hats of being a friend, before you put on the hats of oh, I got to make sure, do all these things for ministry, do all these things for the church. Would we quiet our hearts before the Lord and seek his spirit? So I'm just going to pray for us and just open that 3 minutes span of time. All right? Let me pray. Dear Holy Father, um, Lord, we thank you for your spirit. That when we acknowledge our weakness, we're not alone, Lord, but rather you search us. And it's sometimes painful, Lord, when you search us because we see things we haven't wanted to see. And yet, Lord, the beautiful thing is that you trade it for yourself. That all the pain we experience, all the difficulty, Lord, you say, I will give you everything. I will give you myself, my spirit. And so, Lord, as we just open this time in silence and solitude, would we just be able to make that trade? To trade what is weak. To trade what is unwilling. And to invite your spirit to intercede. And so, Lord, may your spirit just work in this place right now. Would it bring us to you?
0: Would it align us to your will? In Jesus' name we pray amen thanks so much for joining us today we're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series and we also wanted to point you to a few other resources my wife and i wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with god's calling in their life as a businessman as a doctor or nurse and as a creative secondly we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year god bless you thanks so much for being with us and uh hope to hear hope to uh have you join us again